It's like I told Witt after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm warm. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Boston College 17 to 3. I still can't quite believe how bad that was, Robbie. How you feeling, man? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm getting by. Uh, yeah, I, you know, um, I, I've been in quarantine for ten days, which will skew your entire like perspective on what's good and bad things in life uh, when you've just been sitting in a dungy basement. So, uh, but so I'm uh, I'm on day nine of ten of quarantine. So I I have a little pep in my step, like I'm excited for tomorrow. But that's mostly just because of COVID uh, than anything else. That's the best thing I can say about this football team right now. Well, try to come up with one other thing because we need a cheers about something. Uh, I'm ready for basketball. Okay, I, I know. Um, I have not paid any attention. I think uh, basketball kicks off today. Uh, if I'm not game's mistaken. already over. Yeah, we're going to talk about it a little bit. And I, got, I got all the stuff on my end, but yeah, man, basketball starts today. So I, I, I don't want to spoil it, but that that is what's getting me excited. I'm I'm really pumped for um, to just a little bit of change of pace, uh, a lot of positivity, a lot of energy, a lot of popcorn, uh, obviously. So. I'll give a big cheers to the basketball program and getting that kicked off for us uh, for this season. Sounds good. Cheers. Yeah, let's just hit the basketball stuff now because we got to win. 82-47, beat Maine, and Justin Mutz had a great beginning to the game. He scored 15 and had seven boards, but he was all over the place. The castle was rocking, and... It had been forever since we saw a full cast Coliseum watching a basketball game, and it was awesome. And the crowd was into it, and they kicked ass. I mean, they they covered and they won by nearly forty points. Uh, I, I love our our starting five is is real fun. It could be it could be a special season, and I, I've been kind of joking on Twitter. I want to hang a banner this year. Like I don't know I, if that if that's gonna you've been be. doing this banner talk, which is kind of <laughs> starting to crack me up. And I thought at first I thought you were trolling us, but now I'm starting to think you're serious. I'm oh I'm serious now. Whether it's an ACC regular season, an ACC right. tournament, uh, an NCAA tournament, because I think they unveiled a banner for the NCAA tournament in in Castle. Now I want more than that. I want a Sweet Sixteen. I want something. Right. But um, right. I'm thinking championship. This team is good. And the ACC is a mystery. Last year was really weird. Some of the good teams were down. Um, So it's possible. 
we lack a little bit of depth in spots, but I was I was reading through a Diablo fan account. He put a, out a bunch of uh, basketball tweets today, yeah. And he said like this year the spacing should be a lot better, which I totally agree with because we got Storm out there that can stretch the floor as opposed to Beatty and Radford. We're not deep at point guard, but at least we do have shooting. And um, and yeah, Diablo fan account he predicted a twenty to twenty and ten record. So Ooh. that that kind of aligns with with what I'm thinking. I, I think Storm, Aluma, Aline, Kator, and Mutz. That's a very strong five. And then you have Gasan coming off the bench, who I think is going to be our breakout player. And he actually, I, I didn't write that after this, but he had 15 points tonight off the bench, which yeah. is is really nice to see. Ojiako kind of looked like a different guy. He had nine. So I'm pumped, man. I, uh, it, does it feel, and this is an honest question, not like a leading question. Do you feel like it's a little bit deeper than it has been maybe in some past years? I, I, I feel like it is definitely um, in the front court without yeah. a doubt. It is deeper in the front court. And even if you get into the guard, small forwards, I mean, we got a couple guys at the very least that we can count on. Now, the loss of Radford hurt because we expected yeah. to have him around for a couple more years. Um, but love will be Sabidi, great defender. That's not a huge loss, especially with Storm coming in. So, right. yes, if the guys stay healthy, I think our depth is in a stronger position than it's been in yeah, over many of the last few years. I mean, we, we've had depth problems in basketball for a decade. Like we have not yeah. been able to field a full team because even we even got Darius Maddox who came into the game and scored nine. I don't know yep. what he's really going to put out there as a young guy, but he's another body. He was a good recruit. So I think this team, it has the ability to make the tournament and has the ability to make a run in the tournament. Now that, that yeah. there's a long way to go between now and then we got to face Memphis. We got to face Maryland, all of the ACC, but it is nice to be able to look at a team and look at the coach and have trust. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Aluma has had eight tonight, and three guys off the bench had more than that with a 9-9 nine, nine and a 15 spot, which is is nice to see. And um, I think depth, I, I guess, to your point, uh, 10, 15 years we've struggled with depth. We've really been on the radar as a, a team that people have kind of put us as uh, like a tournament kind of buster, like not like crazy, but it'll bust your bracket for like the last five years. Mm -hmm. And in the last five years, um, that's a different caliber, I think, that you need to have. And I feel like the last five years, we always felt good about maybe the starting five, at most the starting six. And I feel it runs a little bit deeper this year. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really pumped up. I think it's going to be a fun year. And I think, I think it's a really cohesive uh, and nice team. And I think we'll get some points off the bench that I think we've been lacking, especially, you know, when we get into foul trouble in the past and it's just been like, well, who's left for Virginia tech. Right. Like yeah. all we had was Blackshear up front. And it's <laughs> like, if he's in foul trouble, like we're dead in the front court. So right. it's nice to have options there. That game right before Thanksgiving, when we play Memphis, they're number 12. And I believe wow. Landers Nolly's still on that roster. So that oh, is going to be fun. You should be hopefully around family and have nothing to do. It's the night before Thanksgiving. So hopefully everyone can, you know, sit around and watch the game and we can pull off a big win. That would be sweet. Yeah, I love it. 
Let's move to football. We're going to get into our Duke preview, and we're actually having a loyal listener, Chris Givens, help us preview that game. He grew up a Duke fan, so he's got some insight into the Duke program. That's going to come up a little bit later. But for now, the AP poll is out. The CFB rankings, I keep doing that. The CFP rankings are out. <laughs> and um, we got a couple more ACC teams in there this week. Wake is number 13 in the AP. They're number 12 in the in the CFP rankings. NC State's in there. They're number 16 in the committee rankings. And then Pitt is number 21 in the committee rankings. So three ACC teams in there. And that Wake and NC State game this weekend, I mean, that is going to be basically for the Atlantic Division. That's a huge game. I, I, I used the bingo card joke earlier today on Twitter, so I'm going to use it again. If you had those three teams as the only teams in the top 25 for <laughs> the ACC, yeah, you win. Yeah. You, you win. That was and not being disrespectful to any of them individually, but as a collective unit, that is not what you you thought would be uh, rounding out the top 25 for Virginia Tech. No, I mean, so for the ACC. Yeah. And even even the committee, though, they put out their rankings last week. Eight teams lost (laughs) eight top 25 teams from the committee rankings lost and including Michigan State, who was in the top four. And they they actually dropped, and this was interesting because I didn't know if they were going to do this. They dropped them to seven, and they put Michigan at six, and Michigan lost to Michigan State. And that's interesting because usually when the teams have the same amount of losses, they go to the head-to-head, and they didn't. Uh, They put put Michigan in front of Michigan State. The top four was Georgia, Bama, Oregon, and Ohio State uh, moved moved into the four. Uh, Cincinnati's at five. So they're getting closer, and Ohio State – like they looked a little shaky. Like Michigan might have a chance against them this year. I think. I think they do. They they look. Yeah. If they can't put away a couple of teams that they have been, it's really their offense is good and the defense just isn't. It's just it's not what it needs to be against a team that has their number like on that week. So I think they can take a loss here uh, sometime soon. We'll see if they do. Maybe they, they you know hold on and. Uh, but uh, I think they're suspect uh, at this point. Michigan State was absolutely suspect. We all knew that. That was that's what kind of season we're dealing with mm-hmm. when Michigan State's ranked number three in the nation. And I, <laughs> I and I don't mean I'm not trying to be mean to Michigan State, but did you really look at that team and be like, oh yeah, that's the number three? I team mean, in the even nation. the Michigan yeah. game alone, like right. one they were at home and like. They got lucky to win that game. They right, really did. Exactly. It looked like an all-star performance from the running back in order to win. So I totally That's get right. why. But if I'm a Michigan State fan and I'm behind Michigan, I'm freaking pissed right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I like those two. Big Little brother and big brother can go argue in the you know, locker room, whatever they want to do. Yeah. I don't really care. <laughs> Last couple news and notes we got here. Stickers, thank you so much for ordering those that did. We put out, you know, $5 donation and we'll mail you a sticker and we've gotten tons of orders. Um, really nice to see how many people want to support the podcast. It's a Venmo or PayPal. That's the only way you can pay right now. If you go to 2dvt.com, you can see the details on how to order. You're just Venmoing me. <laughs> We're doing this very, <laughs> very simply. Like this is not complicated. Um, and once you get the stickers and they seem to be coming pretty quickly, if you get them, Slap them on your cooler, slap them on your fridge, take a picture, tweet at us, and then we'll retweet them. Uh, because we're still trying to, you know, we're still trying to get as many stickers sold as possible, but we have been impressed with the amount 
uh, people that have put in orders already, and we very, very much appreciate it. Absolutely. Injuries. Mario Kendricks didn't play in the game. Trey Turner didn't play in the game. We'll get into that in a little bit. Payout didn't make the trip. Uh, Burmeister got hurt, left the game with a rib thing. At least we think it was ribs. Hoffman was carted off. Stroman was carted off. Fortunately, for the Stroman thing, I think, was just a hydration thing. Tanuta did play. And one of the cooler stories of the season was Changa Hodge was on the field playing. And that's after an ACL tear last spring. That's amazing. I don't even how is that possible? I I thought, you know, at yeah, it, it last spring I don't know, that blew me away when I heard that he was out there and able a lot of people don't even want to be standing at that point and you you're out on the field. It was extremely impressive to um to hear that noise or news and I'm I'm really happy for him. If it feels that good to be out there, um just an awesome piece of news. For real. And listen, he's going to have opportunities to catch the ball against Duke. So I hope that he can get on the field again and rack up some stats in that game. The other side of the injury news was Phil Jerkovich not only played but started for BC. And it was very, very sneaky because there was so little news. I was searching and searching all week for stuff on Phil Jerkovich. We previewed the game. We talked a little bit about Djurkovic and how he was not too far removed from hand surgery. Didn't matter. The only person that mentioned it was Bud Elliott. He said he was hearing rumors that Phil Djurkovic was going to start. But this is how sneaky BC was. They sent out a tweet before the game of the locker room, and in Phil Djurkovic's locker, there were no pads. And in everyone else's locker, there were pads. And it was a total... Like, what a genius fake-out move by the BC promotions, PR, whatever it was. I couldn't believe that after the fact. It's like, man, they really got us. I want to be mad, but I kind of love it. Yeah, in no, a weird it's great. Way. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those, I can't believe I'm saying that, considering the, the loss that we just took, but it, it was a genius, smart move. Like, it was, and they kept it very close hold, and... Listen, but a lot of people send stuff to Bud Elliott and a lot of people give him inside kind of baseball and things. He sends out a tweet asking everybody, like just collective fans for injury reports across the country so he can get his betting lines right. And it's no surprise that he he got some of it uh, and a little bit of win. But even he, he didn't know. He was just kind of hearing mm-hmm. some rumblings um, and obviously got some good rumblings. But I, I I couldn't help but laugh and not be surprised at the same time when the announcers were like, "Oh, Djurkovic is going to be playing," and I was like, "Of course he is." Yeah, like we, we did. We didn't think he was going to be playing, so obviously. And and guess what else, Robbie? It was a red bandana game, the <laughs> second one of the year, which I've literally never heard of them doing two. But hey, Virginia Tech's coming to town on a Friday night. Let's do another red bandana game. Which listen. I love the story about Wells. It's a great story honoring him the way that they do. But like seriously, two in one year, this is what we're doing now. But they got they and they and it worked. They got Jerkovich back and they got the red bandana. Like you knew that we were in for it when when those two things happened. Yeah. I was resigned to a loss before the first snap even happened at that point. I was just I, I sent I did send you a text message right before yeah, you did. and I was like and I was like we're screwed. I was like, 
I was like, Jerkovic is in somehow, and they're doing another red bandana game. I, w- I was like, the chips are stacked against yeah. us so badly right now. And I, and obviously Vegas knew because the the line stunk all week, didn't make a lot of sense based on the statistics, and now we know why. Yep. Let's hop into the game recap. We started off running the ball. <laughs> in fact, almost the entire first half, all we did was run the ball. BB only threw once before getting hurt. BC scored on their first drive, which was actually helped along by the Dorian Strong interception. He got the INT and immediately fumbled. They went up 7-0 on the Jerkovic run. That was kind of a theme of the night, Jerkovic running. On their second drive, BC got another lucky play with the tip drill that ended up getting caught by the tight end. They kicked a field goal on that drive, go up 10-0. And if you didn't think it was our night before, at that point, it was definitely not our night with those two weird plays in the secondary. We ended the half with three dismal drives, but we did hold BC as well, so it was 10-0. Second half was more of the same. BC drove 93 yards on 11 plays, scored on the Garwell run, went up 17-zip. It was end- It was it was over. The only question was, were we going to end the scoring streak? And we didn't have to wait too, too long in the second half. Romo made the 47-yard field goal. We got on the board, and we were in the red zone a little bit later, but fumbled it away. And that was it for the scoring. And that's how it ended, 17-3. to To me, the story of the game was BB going down, the injuries, um, and the lack of offense, obviously. Yeah, I, I would say I would say the story of the game for me was how resigned I was to losing the game so early on. If you And if you followed... I, I know hopefully a lot of you guys stay off of Twitter because it can become kind of a cesspool of like me and Pete and other people just like, you know, saying how bad things are going when really they were going that badly. And the, every single person that covers this team informally, not like the major, like the major writers that are doing their job, the, but every single one of us was like, Oh, the, the scoring streak is going to end. We weren't even talking about a win here yeah. at all in, in that entire second half, everything was about the, the scoring streak. And I'll, I'll lead with the story of the game because I, I love Andy Bitter. I think he does a really great job, but I, I think he put it best for him to summarize the game and I'll, I'll do an exact quote, but it'll be quick. People look at Fuente choosing to punt with five minutes left and his team down two touchdowns as a surrender. I saw it differently. Virginia Tech's best hope to gain considerable yardage at that stage was to punt it 50 yards down the field and hope BC muffed the kick. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement of the offense. I mean, it's incredible. That is incredible. The best quote ever. It is exactly the right quote. It's just like I thought he wrote it exactly how we all felt. The funny thing is... He's not he's not wrong by any means. However, that's not what Fuente was thinking. No. <laughs> then and that's the difference is that we know that with 5 minutes left and you punt down two scores that you're just trying to not get embarrassed. You're not trying to win. You're just trying to not get embarrassed. I know. And but that's why that's why it's such a great quote because it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's mm-hmm. like very much Oh, it's good. Um, yeah. It's I, I saw it the same. I, I luckily all the remotes I think in my house are broken at this point, so like I didn't have any more to throw across like the room. But um, that was tough. But let, let's get in. 
Do you want to get into the details? Because I have a, I actually have a lot of notes. On yeah, dude, we got, we got to do it. And and okay, I'll, I'll kick it off with the basics, and I'll, I'll, I'll turn to you. But just 235 yards. We only ran 51 plays. The longest drive was 55 yards, and we fumbled. No other drives went over 40. And so, if you want to go worst yardage totals in the last decade, it was fifth. Um, <laughs> one of the ones that was worse was Pitt a couple weeks ago. Uh, that was yeah. the worst passing total of the Fuente era. It, you know, I, it's it was so bad on every level. We, you know, the backup quarterback comes in, he's awful, and he's not a freshman, and he's awful. Like it just, it was such a bad offensive performance. It's hard to put it into words. Yeah, and and here we are trying to put in words. We had seventy three yards passing. Uh, we had a coach that didn't know Trey Turner, who's arguably the best or second best receiver. He didn't know he was not going to be playing in the game, which is just impressive. Six years into your uh, tenure, we had 162 yards on the ground. Um, so we got over 200 yards. Congratulations. Uh, you know, the other best quote I think um, was David Hales in just how bad our offense. I don't even think I can do it justice. I copied it here, but it's too long, but it, one of the worst, worst consecutive games without getting over 500 yards is Virginia Tech right now and the longest streak we're ahead of everybody by 11 games and not being able to put over 500 yards out there and that's beating out Illinois Illinois that is has shocking I mean I, yeah. I I tweeted it from the uh, too deep account because it, it flabbergasted me so much that we are not only struggling to get to 500 yards but we're struggling so much that it's taken us 11 more games than anyone else since we've reached it. Like it's, it's honestly hard to believe when we're supposed to have this offensive coach, but we've known for a long time that's out the fricking window. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Knox Canem had to come in and he wasn't good. We, we already said it was 73 yards, but the QBR was 21. He had an 82 passer rating. He started off one for six for three yards, and that three yards was the only three yards we got in the first half in the passing game. Like, are you kidding me? You're going up against a team that doesn't have its best linebacker, that doesn't have Brandon Sebastian in the back, and you can only pass for three yards in the first half? And Braxton Burmeister's first pass was a joke. Like, the only pass that he threw was an absolute duck underthrown piece of crap ball. And so maybe it wouldn't have mattered if he got hurt. I don't know. I thought the interesting quote that came from Cut was schematically Virginia Tech doesn't do anything different even if somebody else is under center. Meaning that when BB3 was in the game versus when Knox is in the game, Virginia Tech does the same thing. Can we just take like a second to think about that for a second? Those are not the same quarterbacks. They do not have the same talents. In fact, Knox Kadem throws from under center like in, in like an insane amount more than what Burmeister does because Burmeister loves to scramble out of the pocket when he's throwing. And for opposing coaches to be like, yeah, they just kind of do the same thing on offense. Doesn't matter who's under center is insanely an indictment of what this program has, has done right now. And the lack of depth, basically, once we found out Trey wasn't going to be in the game, we already don't have Mitchell. If we basically have one 
wide receiver for this team. And the only other wide receivers we have are running backs that are catching the ball mm-hmm. in Blackshear. It's uh, honestly, this is the least prepared. And I would say we are the least deep offensive team right now, probably in FBS in terms of once your number one is knocked out at any position, where do you go to for who's number two or who's going to step up next? And it was on full display yeah. in, in this game. The mismanagement of the roster over the past four to six years was on absolute full display. Yes, you completely you said it best. And that just shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. And we, we know that Hendon walked out the door and we know he's throwing touchdowns for Tennessee. But even if it's not Hendon, somebody else like Knox Kadem like it's really it's not his fault either it's it's just not he was a JMU commit until the week of signing day the only reason we signed Knox Kadem is because we didn't have anybody else because we had decommitments we missed on all the other guys and we took him last minute and we knew we could flip him because he was going to FCS and that is why he's not good because he's not supposed to be on not even a P5 roster he's not supposed to be on an FBS roster and yet, here we are, probably having to start him for the rest of the year, potentially. And so it's it's, it's not Knox's fault. It's not Braxton's fault that this coaching staff doesn't know how to manage a freaking roster. We've got 11 scholarship running backs. we got D linemen walking out of the program. we got no quarterbacks. we got no wide receivers. And we got 11 running backs. Like, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing? How could anyone before the season, think this team was winning nine games. How could that come out of anyone's mouth looking at this depth? And and it, the BC game exposed all of it. I, I'd like to give some positives on offense. I, I just don't have any. We had a 0% <laughs> completion percentage on third down uh, on oh four God. attempts. Uh, we The only other time we sh- threw it so few times on third down was against Syracuse, a game that we also got embarrassed, which is very interesting. Uh, we were down two touchdowns with seven minutes to go, and we were running the ball, um, which, by the way, runs the clock in case anybody out there is 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 figuring out time management. Um, time Cop probably would have done a better job. Uh, we got we got lucky because they blew the fumble dead that BC ran back for a touchdown. I don't know if you caught that. So this game was we lost by what fourteen points. Mm-hmm. It was a seventeen three game. BC that they showed the actual umpire who called the play dead and spent almost two minutes talking about how bad he probably was going to feel that night because really BC should have had another touchdown right there. That was uh, a blown call right there. We had penalties creep into the mix, which haven't been a problem and were touted almost for the entire first half. And then we managed at every successful drive that was seemed to be going right. We had penalties creep in and Knox Kadem, to your point, it's not it's not your fault. Like I feel like we're having the psychiatrist session right now and Matt Damon is up against the wall and it's like it's this is not your fault. I'm holding up the case file of like what he had to deal with. It's like, dude, it's it's not it's not your fault. It's not and it's it's it sucks because and then he got into the press conference and took ownership of it and he didn't need to. It no. wasn't it's not on him. That's not the problem. No, don't don't defend these coaches. I, it it was admirable for him to do that, but it's you know he's been put in an awful position. The defense quickly, <laughs> it was good enough 
they they made some plays and they had bad luck. Like the fact that Dorian fumbled that shit, like it, that sucked. The fact that the the tip that Daly had, he was trying to pick off and then it got caught. Like that's just shitty luck. They had six tackles for loss. They had the interception. They couldn't get to Jerkovic, and Jerkovic was able to run. And the the nice thing was he wasn't himself. Jerkovic wasn't right. like able to throw the ball all over the place. He clearly looks like a guy who has a bad hand. And the the problem was we couldn't like stop him running the ball. Like he he was able to gain like sixty five yards key times as a team. They ran for two thirty four over four yards a carry, which isn't surprising because our run D is trash it was the second most rush yards we've given up this year it it was a it was a good enough performance to win it was not a great performance and what it played to was bc's plan which was they just wanted to run the ball kill the clock score some tds and get out of there and that's exactly what they did they ate up the clock we had what 16 passes 17 passes total i think in this game because uh, burmeister threw mm-hmm. one so they ate up the clock. It was, I think, in we only had the ball once. I think in the first, in the third quarter. Like I think in the on the third quarter we had the ball twice, but it split into the fourth quarter. It kind of bled over. But basically, they did exactly what they wanted to do, and and they knew Jerkovic couldn't throw the ball. And and that is an that is a coach that knows what he has and what he doesn't have. And he knows he has a guy that's coming off basically a broken hand. And they're like, we're going to run the ball and Virginia tech's not going to be able to stop it. And on key, you know, situations on second down on third down, we had one really good stop, which is when we held them on um, the, the fourth and one that they tried to draw us off sides. Yeah. And, and they punted and, the defense, to your point, which is 100% accurate, was they weren't bad. They did enough that we could have won this game, but we had the most inept offense that I've seen since the Wake 0-0 game that, that I can recall. And they did what they could, but at the end of the day, the clock just got bled out on on the offense that was completely inept. Yeah, and when you're doing that to your defense and leaving them on the field, they're they can only do so much. The fact that they only give up 17 is kind of a miracle. So yeah, let's do our takeaways. Um, well, I'll say thank you to Romo for scoring the points because that yes. was a nice field goal that he made, and Moore continues to boom the punt from a punting perspective. But yep, overall the takeaways we talked about the depth issues they were on display, horrible offensive performance against a team that really doesn't have a good defense. That is statistically a very poor defense. Even with Trey out, like we should have been able to score more than three points. We, we really should have. And for a primetime Friday night game, the only show in town in terms of college football that's on television, and you go up there and you do that. Like you put that performance out on the field. Like when your job is on the line, and Fuente knows his job is on the line, that is pathetic. That is the most pathetic motivational job I've seen a coach do in a long time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And also, I don't want to hear about Turner being out or Blumrick 
or Burmeister getting injured. The BC was down a lot of players too, mm-hmm. including their leading tackler. And I don't want to hear it anymore. And I think that was arguably the biggest takeaway that I had from going national. The national beat writers were just like, dude, you got nothing behind what the starters are. And it comes back to what you and I said before the season is we do have some really good talent on this team. And I think talent that are going to be arguably successful in their careers. And we have a really great running back right now. We have two great wide receivers. You know, Mitchell was a great talent. He's gone. We have good talent. There is nothing behind it. This is a house of cards that is just looking to break down at any moment. And when you pull out, you know, two of them, the whole thing comes crumbling down. It's it's really it was really hard to watch. It was a tough game to watch. It was. Uh, it was. We were I, I called you because we were at an event and then went to the bar for for the game and like we sat down, got a couple beers, got some food and watching the third quarter and you know, we're out. People are having fun because I'm in I'm in Jersey, so no one's really watching the tech game, but it was on. And it gets to be the fourth quarter, and I'm like, do you just want to go home? Like we're, <laughs> we're like, I don't like this isn't really fun anymore. Let's just get out of here. Um Bitter called the Fuente Fuente's like attitude in the presser like lifeless. And I've noticed that now a couple weeks where he just there used to be this kind of pushback, a little like we saw the ludicrous crap quote, but I'm, I'm just that was kind of a symptom of Fuente still having some pride in his program, being like, no, 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 we did these things well. I'm going to make a few excuses, but he is totally resigned. That is not happening anymore. It is lifeless. It is, I don't have a clue how to fix this. Um, I don't know what happened tonight kind of vibe coming from him. To see that, especially coming after the punt, that uh, now I think is infamously going to be just like what I'm going to picture as the end of his career was was the punt where mm-hmm. we just gave up the game. Um, for him, it was just like, yeah, we we don't have any we don't have any answers. Yeah. Period. And there's, this there's is no n- fight left. Yeah, it's gone. Um, his comments on Trey Turner, you talked about it. And Morris, Pete Morris tried to put out a clarification, and it was just like, it only made people more upset. And Fuente, there was, I think maybe the comments got a little pulled this way or that way, but ultimately, he made it sound like he didn't know Trey was going to play, who's his best player. And Trey is dealing with some kind of very strange injury where there's like air in his neck, and so... It, it sounded like it was a last minute thing, but like multiple people were like, I knew on Wednesday Trey wasn't playing. Like the message boards knew, his mom knew, all this stuff. So Fuente framing it like it was a little bit of a surprise, and he didn't use surprise language, but he framed it that way. Yeah. Is an excuse. He he it was an excuse like that he was trying to make. We didn't look good tonight on offense because I didn't know I wasn't gonna have my best player. And that is the kind of coach that he is. He you he needed to say that didn't matter. He didn't need to say I didn't know we weren't going to have Trey. You know, like that. It right. just it to me it comes off as an excuse. And what comes out of this game as a whole is that he's done. And and bitter said as much. The other beat writer said as much. Like 
there's not much mystery to this anymore. It's not a question of if, but when. Everyone's saying that, and that is the only solace I'm taking out of this loss. <laughs> Which is unbelievably sad. Yeah, yeah. The Trey thing is, it it was bad, but the, the reason that, the reason that I like kind of the Twitter mafia, if you will, of people that cover this kind of stuff is because it dug up the whole fact that Trey's mom knew that he wasn't going to play. <laughs> right. And like, if everything was like, closed off and you weren't able to get access to like people's thoughts and that sorts of things that would have gone under the radar. But what made it look even stupider is that like Trey's mom was like, yeah, yeah, he wasn't going to play. Like uh, we knew this like, you know, three days ago. So like, (laughs) or two days ago. And so it comes off either one as an excuse and a bad one or two as ignorant. And neither of those are good, a good thing to have happen. Um, and it, it, Will Stewart also put out the thing that this isn't really the first time there's been a miscommunication between medical staff and Fuente. And I thought that was interesting because he's not he was right. Like there's been other instances of this. Right. And and the, the thing that we don't know is what Fuente, he's calculated like he's he chooses words carefully he does shit like this because he is an excuse maker and because he's always trying to spin stuff and so him seeming like he's not on the same page with the medical staff i think is by, like it's actually kind of the con you know what i mean yeah 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 i i agree with that and the long short of for me is i knew in and this sucks to say, but I knew in the first half that this game was a loss. And that makes it tough to watch Virginia Tech football when it just looked lifeless. BC wasn't even really trying at certain points of this game. They were just like, they were just kind of running through the motions and just draining out clock. And that's what makes it tough. And how lifeless it seemed in that press conference was evident pretty much from the second quarter on of this game. Like it, there nothing surprising happened on the field and that makes it all the more tough to to really we were know, all analyze. just waiting for it to end. Like yeah. I mean that's pretty much what it was after the first half. We were all just waiting for it to end. The FPI index gives Virginia Tech a 43% chance of getting to a bowl. Um that seems that seems too high. <laughs> I I agree. Yeah, I don't. I would, I, I would take those odds if you want. <laughs> like right. you know, what I mean, like yeah. If uh, that seems like an easy bet, because I think it's the percentage was probably in like the teens for me. Well, I think that covers it. Do you have any last thoughts, or do you want to move on to uh, our beer break here? No, I just you know as much as it is. We, may feel like we're piling on. I'm just sad. It just sucks. I mean, the whole thing. That was an embarrassment. I mean, that was really an embarrassment. Yeah. And we all, what, what pissed me off in my real summary is, and you've tweeted about this uh, a bit is anybody that's close to this program is honest with themselves, has talked to other people that are honest with themselves, saw this coming. Like we, we all knew that this was coming and we've been talking about it. I don't know on here for two and a half years, probably we've Mm -hmm. been talking about, we had an idea where this was going to end up. And 
I that is a I hate saying this because I actually really like him and he's done a great job with a lot of our hires. That's on Wit, right? Like he you talk about controlling the locker room. Wit was not able to control whatever led to Fuente coming back this season is on him. And that rides on his shoulders. Um, he's the athletic director. like, And whether it was his decision or whether other people influenced his decision and he couldn't you know, tell them no, we're in the same place. It doesn't right. really matter. And that is his job responsibility to keep this program intact. And we, we all knew that this was coming and now here we are we're just yeah. living in we're just living in the world that we 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 foresaw coming a year ago or two years ago depending on where you you thought the program was after liberty i said it was a, a loveless marriage and we were just you know staying together for the kids which was the buyout and here we are and we're still together for those kids and they haven't left for college yet and it's lingering on and on and I also said it was like the Mike London thing where they gave him an extra year. And as tech fans, we were like, great. Yeah. Keep London around. That guy stinks. And that's probably what UVA fans were saying about Fuente. We kept him around another year and look at the season we're having. It's horrible. We could end up with the four wins that we have. I mean, we'll probably win another game, but like if we, if we go five and seven, that means we went four and seven against FBS. You know, and then yeah. with with a eleven point win against Richmond, like that is horrible. That's absolutely terrible. And you're right, it is on Wit, but um, we gave him a contract extension. Wit Wit's sitting pretty right now, so like yeah. he has another shot at this, and he has done really well. So I'm not coming down on Wit because we all thought it was a good hire at the time. He's made a lot of other good hires, but he's got to nail this. He's got to get it right. So. Let's see what happens. The firing timing, I do think it's not going to come before senior day because that's this weekend. Uh, and it's so late in the season, it does seem like it'll be after UVA, but I'm yep. sure he's already searching. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope so uh, for his sake. Um, because, yeah, the fan, the fan base, uh, yeah, a lot of the beat writers were like, yeah, even the most the diehard Fuente supporters now are like, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I got, you know, it is crickets out there in terms of supporting him right now. There's, there's no ammo left in the chamber for sure. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, downtown crown wine and beer and dominion wine and beer. I actually was just at a wedding and Arash was there this past weekend. It was good to see him. We were chatting a little bit and I have these other buddies that they're, uh, they're a gay couple and they, have a, a son and so during the pandemic they were talking about how they loved going to dominion because they had the outdoor setup and they didn't want to you know be in indoors or around too many people because of their their son and all that stuff and they just raved about the setup at dominion raved about the staff they even did some stuff to help out the staff during that time and they're also like i love these guys they're my they're my good buddies but like they're a little picky too and the fact that they love the food, they love the setup, um, is a testament to how good Dominion is at for events, for just going and having a beer, for sitting outside, indoor and outdoor. I mean, they got a great indoor setup. They got the tents outside with the TVs, and of course, the great beer selection in the wall of fridges when you go in there. So, couldn't recommend Dominion more. And if you've ever, if you live in Gaithersburg, you're just in Maryland, 
They have a great Maryland beer selection at the downtown Crown location. It's a beautiful shopping center, beautiful store. And Arash is at both of them all the time. You'll see him walking around. His brother runs the Dominion store, but he's there a lot. And he's, uh, you know, he's the, the one that runs the downtown Crown location. And both those places are top notch. I couldn't recommend them more. Yeah, it's one of, especially, I hate to say it, we're getting into the cold part of the year where uh, temperatures are going to start dropping here. And one of the few places that I visited, COVID is still a very real thing. Uh, last year when we went through this was um, I went over to downtown and, and sat outside and watched some NFL games. I'm not a huge NFL fan, but I like to watch just like in passing. It's kind of fun. Not and to drink. Have a team. <laughs> and drink. Yeah. And um, dude, their, their setup is awesome. They have heaters pumping in some heat. You feel like you're indoors even when you're you're outdoors, but you also get you know the airflow and stuff like that if you're concerned about being around other people. And it's awesome. It's one of the few hangouts that me, my wife, and uh, my daughter used to go to uh, last year and, and will again this year. All right, for now, Robbie, why don't you tell me what you're drinking? Water H two O is on the menu for me, so uh, I'm I'm taking it easy tonight. So I'll make mine mine easy. It's refreshing and it tastes about the same. It's not it's not Ames water, but it's uh, it's close uh, there too. So uh, what are you having? I'm having the Terra Firma Hazy Double IPA from New Trail, and I think this is a collaboration they did with Dancing Gnome Brewing. This is one of those. New Trail's out of Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where they have the Little League World Series. My brother-in-law, Chaz, brings some of these over because he lives out in PA. But this is a delicious, hazy double. I don't drink a whole lot of doubles anymore because the hangovers are horrific. But if I'm having one <laughs> or two, I I love to have a double hazy IPA. They're they're absolutely great. So the Terra Firma Hazy Double IPA. This New Trail, they make a lot of good stuff. If you're out in PA or even in some of the parts of Maryland or Jersey, I'm sure you can get it. They got a pretty good distribution, great looking cans and very, very good beer. So I would recommend it. We are now welcoming in Chris Givens. He's going to help us preview Duke. Chris, thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, Obviously we're going up against the blue devils who are coached by David Cliff and have been for some time. And he really changed the game for Duke when it, in regards to football, It, it, brought a whole new echelon of success and the bowl games and everything. And you being a lifelong or at least grew growing up a Duke fan, um, that had to be a huge change for you. And I just wanted to like talk about cut briefly before we kick it off. We'll get to his future a little bit later, but just in what he meant to the university and like the difference that made to all the fans there. Can you talk about that a little bit? I grew up in Durham uh, and my dad went to Duke. So that was kind of my connection with the school. And we always went to, you know, all the games when, you know, Ted Roof was there and, you know, the dark days when they were going 0-12, 0-11, back when, before there were 12 games every year. And for some sick reason, our rule was, you know, we're going to sit for every single second of every home game and you know that was hard um but uh you know when coach cut comes in you know there, he brings you know a lot of energy you know he's got that sec experience from tennessee and ole miss he's got the the manning connection and kind of brings an energy that hasn't been there since you know since i've been born and since uh you know coach spurrier was there at duke and it's kind of hard to 
explain to a, a non-Duke fan, you know, what he means to the program. Because for a lot of people, you know, going to a bowl game, you know, that's the status quo. That's the minimum that your program should be achieving. And, you know, I remember in 2012 uh, when they beat North Carolina and got to their sixth win for the first time, basically, or four my, in my lifetime, and I just remember, you know, how crazy that felt and, you know, how what it meant to me as someone who had sat there and witnessed all the losses. And, you know, and for some of my life, it's like, oh, we're going to be playing a football game in December. And I just remember that being you know, really exciting. And then, you know, the next couple of years after that, they just kept getting better and better and um, actually became nationally relevant. He's just done a great job. Yeah. Or he did a great job. <laughs> yeah. And now, you know, we're kind of on the back end of his career. And uh, it, it's it's weird to say, like, man, he's kind of washed up. It's time to get rid of him when they're still three and six, which <laughs> even 10 years ago, that would have been like they won three games out of their first nine. Like, that's pretty impressive. Um, but they're 0 and 5 in the ACC. They're struggling. And even his hallmark, which is innovative offense, uh, it's it's kind of starting to go by the wayside as well. Uh, and a lot of that is attributed to, so when he first came in, the coaching staff that he started with uh, was, you know, pretty, uh, like, not, not a whole lot of people knew about much about them, but they still had a lot of promise. Um, and over time, those coaches just kept getting poached away. But by other programs, you know, you had uh, Coach Roper got picked up by Florida in 2014, I think. And then Coach Montgomery was picked up by ECU. And those were both the offensive coordinators. And then um, after Coach Montgomery, that was when they made the interesting decision to instead of go out and hire another innovative innovative mind uh, on the offensive side of the ball and they decided to promote their special teams coach to be the offensive coordinator and uh that did did not work out well at all um <laughs> and that, it didn't work and, out well for scotty at ecu either <laughs> he kind of he probably <laughs> wished he stuck around and then wasn't a couple years later there was a uh, a defensive coordinator that got picked up by someone yeah yep and yeah it, it that has basically led to where the defense is now. So that one of the, in my opinion, one of the more important coaches on the staff in the past was Derek Jones. Um, and he was picked up by Texas tech last year. And also coach Jim Knowles, who is actually doing a really good job at Oklahoma state right now. Um, he was picked up a few years ago. So both of those were huge losses and um, you know, that will might get into this a little later, but um, it's definitely led to where the program is at this point today. And it's also what led to what happened to his downfall Ole Miss. Yeah. Okay. Similar reasons. Uh, uh, let me just add one thing to that, Pete. It, it's, it's an interesting corollary between Virginia Tech, I think, and Duke, but the end is very different in, in how it tra transpired, right? If, the the coaches that came up under Beamer 
save his son now that is <laughs> at South Carolina and things like that. But it, it was not really poaching that ended up at the end. In fact, a lot of people kind of stuck. Cut has an amazing career. And honestly, we talk about Cut on this podcast a lot. We have for the past, what, seven years, I think, mm-hmm. Pete. We've talked about, you know, it's still Cut. Like, he could still, he's still an amazing coach. He's still, we, we, he comes up all the time. But he kept having, he taught so many really great minds that ended up getting poached kind of underneath them. It was almost like the sand kept getting pulled out from underneath them. And in the Beamer years, not to take anything away, it's just different. In the Beamer years, everybody kind of stuck around Beamer and it was just like, it's kind of time. Whereas, you know, Cut was kind of clawing at a hill that was kind of like falling down on him um, with a lot of people going away, which is both both situations are sad in their own right and, and like but i think both are you know i respect so much in their own right i guess if that makes sense i don't know if you see it that same way no yeah i definitely uh agree with you duke football you know should not be the end point for uh up and coming coaches they you know should want to go on and do bigger things but um you know the guys beneath them they're just once you get to, you know, this first, second, third, fourth level of guys that have gone on left, the guys that are remaining, they're just they're just not ready to lead at this level. Yeah, you eventually run out of your colleagues, right? Like the guys you right. bring in initially, you can replace them at first, call on some old people, and then slowly but surely there's just no one left. And you get older, as Cut has, and that energy isn't there maybe as much. And we're kind of witnessing that now. And to talk about this year's team, they're 97th in the SP+. They're 89th on offense and 102nd on defense. The defense, in particular, is really poor. But let's let's go yeah. into the offense first. And I can talk about the raw numbers, but I want to defer to Chris on some of this stuff. It seems like their, their best player is Mateo Durant. <laughs> and they're running the ball quite a bit. They're 36 in rush yards per game, like almost 200 yards a game which with a a Duke offensive line is not something you think of like running the ball all the time, but Holmberg has had his games, but it seems like it's the Durant show this year. Yeah, absolutely. And it should be the Durant show because he is a really great player. It's almost to a point where they're almost overusing him. I mean, he, he is by far the best player on this team, but your best player being a running back the defense are really just stacking the boxes and doesn't matter how good you are. He's not going to break a tackle on five guys on every single play. Um, and I think, you know, even in the Georgia tech game, I think he had like something ridiculous, like 43 carries or it was oh over gosh. 40 carries in that game. <laughs> and it's just like, man, I don't know how he's not hurt. Like, I honestly have no idea because they're just running him so much, but uh, yeah, it definitely is the Mateo Durant show on offense. And, you know, you, you talked a little bit about Gunner and, you know, he's definitely not a bad quarterback. He's an okay to average quarterback, which, you know, in college football, an okay to average quarterback, I think there's a lot of programs that would take that. Um, one of those <laughs> being Virginia Tech, yes. I think. Um, and so... It's a little frustrating because 
I think with a little bit more balance, this offense could really be cooking with something. Um, they struggle a little bit with the receiving core. They don't have any elite athletes on the outside. They have Jacob Bobo, who has really solid hands and, um, you know, he leads the team in catches and, you know, he's their third target guy. But outside of Bobo and Calhoun, you know, there's not really any guys that scare you in the receiving core, which is probably why they're defaulting to just running the ball on first, second, and third down every play. Well, last week, Robbie and I had to preview a couple different quarterbacks, and then the two <laughs> that we previewed didn't even play. So <laughs> we need to talk about the possibility of the backup quarterback playing because Holmberg left the game with a rib injury last game, and that backup QB, what is it, Leonard? He he had a yeah. little bit of uh, spiciness to his game. He was running around <laughs> a little bit. It was interesting. Chris, don't throw us under the bus. If we don't, if we don't preview him, he will. He will play. That's just the way it works. <laughs> we have a jinx that happens when me and Pete don't talk about a quarterback. They end up starting no matter what. Yeah, and that's kind of the funny thing about this week as well. Is I mean, you very possibly could see any of the four quarterbacks <laughs> on the roster uh, this week because. Um, you know, the guy that you saw play last week, Riley Leonard, you know, starting the season, he was the fourth string quarterback. And over time, he's just climbed up the ladder to back up. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, Gunner could be out. I don't have any inside information on whether he'll be back or not. And we probably won't know until 30 minutes before kickoff, like the Boston College game. But um, so, I mean, the guys behind him. They're all relatively similar in skill level, but they all have um, slightly different skill sets. So Riley, like you said, um, you know he's got a little bit of spice to him. He's he's a big guy. He's you know six four, six five, two hundred and five pounds, I think. Um, you know, out of camp, um, they were drawing some Daniel Jones comparisons, which I wouldn't go that far. I think that's just because they're saying, cause he's six, four white and can run. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he is pretty athletic. He's got some speed. All the quarterbacks have some speed to him on Duke's roster. Um, some of his passes came out a little wobbly. Um, you know, it's hard to say how he'll perform or how any of them will perform because of the sample size of all of them. And aren't they all freshmen? Um, yeah, they're all freshmen. Uh, Luca Diamant is a redshirt freshman. Um, he played a little bit last year um, uh, because uh, Chase Bryce uh, could <laughs> not bad. finish any games last <laughs> yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Old but, Chase Bryce. Uh, yeah. yeah don't, don't get me started on that. I mean, I guess a, a side tangent on the offense would be that uh, they are doing better in the turnover department this year. I mean, it's still bad, but they're not turning the ball over four times a game like last year. It's more like two times a game. But uh, um, so uh, another quarterback that you you'll definitely see him at least a couple of plays is uh, Jordan Moore. Uh, he's pretty small, um, pretty skinny, but he's really quick. Uh, he's really elusive and um, pretty hard to bring down, um, but he struggles to throw the ball 
further than 10 yards downfield. So I wouldn't really expect to see him as the primary quarterback this year. It'll most likely be Riley Leonard or Luca Diamond that gets the nod if Gunner's not ready to go. And Holmberg is not really a runner. I noticed his QBR was 48, which is actually worse than Braxton Burmeister, but his passer rating's good. So he's a decent passer, but he's not much with his legs in terms of Holmberg. Well, it's interesting because uh, he is quick, um, but due to the offensive coaching staff, for some reason, not letting him run on read options, that's probably why his rushing stats are pretty low this year. And, and he's taken 17 the sacks. The pass protection. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, the passing protection also isn't great either. So uh, he's taken a lot of sacks back there. Uh, all right, let's move on to the defense. And then we'll give kind of our overall thoughts on the analysis of the matchup. Um, 102 in SP plus, as I was saying earlier, and 119 in yards per play. Like that is that is god awful. This is on just on paper on the stats alone. It's the worst defense we're going to face this year by quite a wide margin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this whole day I've been thinking about you know, how to describe just how bad the defense is this year. And, you know, like you said, it will be by far the worst defense Virginia Tech will have seen this year. Um, so um, I think as, you know, Virginia Tech fans, you know, you should all be praying that you can at least score 28 points this right. week because scoring anything less than 28 points this year is honestly an embarrassment. Um, against this Duke defense. Um, don't because, don't I mean, challenge us up. like that, Chris. I, <laughs> yeah. mean, listed, yeah. <laughs> I, I think Duke is giving up something like 43 points per game in ACC play. Um, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's bad. Uh, the one, there are a couple of bright spots on the defense. I mean, outside of just the numbers. Um, I mean, Shaka Hayward is a really good linebacker. I think he's like maybe in the top, six or seven and tackles in the ACC right now. Um, they've got a couple guys in the defensive line that have stepped up kind of recently and Dwayne Carter and OJ open. Um, but I mean, outside of that, to be honest, um, there just aren't many FBS quality players on the defense. And that's really the issue. And specifically in the secondary, they're really struggling this year to get, any type of coverage um and even more specific in the secondary the safeties are really struggling to lock down the middle of the field over the top okay. they're getting beat deep a lot um so it's gonna be really interesting if you know brad cornelson you know trusts potentially Knox to throw it deep or braxton to you know hit a seam up the middle because it's gonna be open and um, you know, they're going to have to hit it if, you know, they want to put up points against this defense. Um, so you're saying we want so, Trey to be playing this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll definitely want Trey to be playing this week, but I don't think, uh, I, I don't think the, any of the receivers will struggle to find some openings against the secondary. Gotcha. I, mean, I think. Oh. Don't worry, we only have we only have two of them at yeah. best, and really only have one. But no, I think I think your point is, it's very interesting in, in terms of a litmus test of like going up against this because 
all of the things that we have not been comfortable doing are all the things that could be damaging to Duke. And if we can't take advantage of that, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's quite an indictment of <laughs> not that we need any more of those, but it's quite an indictment of what's happening if we cannot scheme to what the the secondary and I'm not trying to be mean is really, really bad for Duke. Yeah, and if we can't take advantage of that, it's it's really a it seems to me, and you know the program much better, a, a bad indictment of of corn where this program sits. Yep. Um and you know, like you said, the the matchup is essentially worse on worse this week. Um and you know, I just have to believe that I mean, I know Virginia Tech has really been struggling to throw the ball this year, but I just have to believe that it's better than this Duke secondary. I mean, that's how, honestly, that is how bad they've been this year. Um, yeah, so, I yeah, mean, it'll be an interesting matchup. In a way, for Knox, like if Knox has to go for us, this is like, it's like playing a scout team. It really is. Like if he can't pass on this team after three Absolutely. years of development on a D1 roster like he's not going to be able to pass on anyone so hopefully we can do that because i remember a couple years ago duke had a pretty robust like d-line a lot of young guys who were really good and that's still kind of lingering just a bit with like you said with carter um and even open but like other than the line it's just there's just not a lot behind there they lost those those good linebackers and even years ago when they had what was it mcduffie at safety um who was it who's a monster like they don't got any guys like that and that goes a lot into like where a lot of the duke fans have been coming from with their frustrations that didn't start just last year when they went two and nine you know this has been starting maybe about since daniel jones's junior year is probably when a lot of people were like What's going on here? And that's when, you know, it was so obvious that the talent level on Duke's roster was as high as it's ever been. Um, I mean, there are, you know, multiple guys getting drafted every year. I mean, guys are getting drafted in the first round, even. Yeah. Um, Daniel Jones himself, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, Lakin Tomlinson, um, the offensive lineman, yep, yep. was drafted a few years before that. And, uh, you know, you're looking at the roster and you're like, all right, this team should definitely be winning, you know, eight or nine games. And, you know, they're out, they're going seven and five, you know, eight and five with a bowl game included. And, you know, you're kind of scratching your head like, all right, why are we underperforming every year? And then when Daniel Jones leaves, it's just like, you know, the curtain gets, you know, pulled away and you start to realize, you know, you know, just how much the coaching is impacting the roster. And even on those bad teams the last couple of years, I mean, that two and nine team last year still had four guys drafted and two guys Damn. that have made practice squads and made rosters. Um, for and this they year. almost beat us. I mean, that, that Duke yeah. game last year, it was one of the, it was close. Yeah. The one like Robbie was saying, like, cut he can just, you know, have a good day or, you know, motivate the guys right and he can beat you. And without, Herbert, we do not win that game last year. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was watching the highlights for that game a couple weeks ago, and I'd forgotten how close it was until uh, Herbert broke, you know, a long like fifty yard touchdown run, like he does on like the last drive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and um, 
in that team last year, there, like you said, there was a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball and not just on the D line. I mean, in the secondary, like I said, McDuffie was there. Michael Carter second was there. Who's now playing for the jets. And, um, Marquise Waters was there who is playing for Texas tech right now. Um, and I think, you know, losing those three guys just kind of put a shock to the system and the guys behind are just not ready. Well, let's move to the, uh, analysis of the game. I suppose, uh, for tech, it's a question of, are we going to have Burmeister? Are we going to have Kadem? But either way, from what we're hearing from you, we should be able to put up points regardless of who the quarterback is. It To me, I feel like it's more just about getting this team motivated after that horrific performance up at Boston College, it, more so than just like the matchups or the X's and O's. The really frustrating thing for the tech side of me, um, and oh, also I don't think I described this before, but uh, I did go to Virginia Tech, so that's kind of my... Uh, tied to the Virginia Tech program is Cornell singing to let Knox or even Taj or Braxton you know let them play freely are we just gonna let them you know play in the same screen short routes to the outside and are we gonna just see them kind of turtle up and then um on the flip side um I'm really interested to see what the tech linebackers are able to do because it's been a few weeks now where they've really struggled um, in the running game. I mean, they let Phil just run all over the place, um, you know, and they let in the Syracuse game Schrader and um, Syracuse's running back was able to have a really productive day. So I'm interested to see, are they going to fill their gaps correctly and, you know, hold Mateo to, you know, a reasonable yardage around because he's going to get 25 plus carries in this game. So I think if you can hold him to under a hundred yards rushing, that's a massive win uh, mm-hmm. for the linebacking core. So those are the two things I'm interested in for this matchup. Rob. My, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have the unpopular opinion because I, I, I do all our passing stats. So I think what's most interesting about the game that happened last week that people don't Knox Kadem actually threw the ball. I'm not saying his stats were good. I'm saying he actually threw the ball pretty well. So he had at least six passes that he threw into extremely tight coverage that he basically put him in places that wide receivers were either catching it or nobody was getting it. It was actually really interesting to watch. It was completely unlike I've seen from from Burmeister. And the secondary like really gave him a hard time. And honestly, you know, without Trey on the field, he basically had one to one and a half receiving targets. But I think that's gonna be the same case against against Duke. I, I, I don't know to your point, Chris, what to expect. And I hate to, I never like to put, you know, kind of, it, it sucks to say bad versus bad, <laughs> but that's what we're going to see mm-hmm. in, in this game is not a very good secondary, a struggling with receiver core that basically has out on even its good days. There are three people that can catch a ball right now. Only one wide receiver caught a ball. That was Robinson, obviously, in that game. Only one. We have one wide receiver 
it's available yeah at in virginia tech and that you know i don't want to get into like the extremes of how embarrassing that is but one wide receiver caught a ball in that entire game so we'll see and i think um I think that's really going to be the name of the game. If if Knox can go out and actually throw, I don't know, five, ten completions that are meaningful in this game, then I think that's going to determine the whole game, uh, honestly. I wanted to echo Chris's point on the linebackers because he's right. Like, Dax, Tisdale, whatever. Like, Tisdale had a good game a couple games ago, but, like, we our rushing defense is terrible. The tackling was very bad last week, and – we are going to see this. This the only thing they can do really is run the ball, whether it's with one of these backup quarterbacks or it's with Durant. And so, make sure you can tackle and you win the game. I mean, it, it's that simple. But this Duke team was in that game against Pitt, like they were fighting. And for a team that's been like really struggling this year, they came out and they fought against one of the better teams in the ACC, and that scared me. And it's Senior Day, and I don't want these guys. They've already had a rough year. I don't want them to go out with a loss at home. And so make the tackles, make the blocks, and let's beat Duke. Because if you lose to another team that doesn't have a win in ACC play on senior day at home, <laughs> that's going to be very bad because we just lost to an 0-4 team in the ACC last week. So I, I hope that uh, we can pull it out. Chris, I did want to get your thoughts real quick on the exit of Cutcliffe because we talked about the similarities with Beamer. And Beamer, about a month out, said, you know, I'm retiring at the end of the year. I'm going to pass it off to someone else and keep the program in good standing. What is what's the plan here? Is he going to be gone after this year? And are they going to are they going to have to fire him or will he walk away? So to be very blunt, he's too stubborn to walk away. Um, I just don't see him, you know, looking at where he's at now and being like, I can't get this done. It's time for me to step away. You know, he's the type of coach that you know, always thinks no matter how bad it gets that, you know, he can, you know, get the program back to where he has had it, you know, at some point uh, in his career here. Um, so it's really going to be up to some t- type of external force to, you know, either, you know, kick him in the butt and get him to turn turn the program around and, you know, actually make some hires that will help the program or, you know, just accept that it's time to move on. And it's kind of an interesting time period in Duke athletics because they just now got a new athletic director in Nina King, who has just now had to hire uh, a Duke women's basketball coach. Actually, I don't remember if she made that hire, but she's having to replace coach Shesky. Um, which is a huge hire mm-hmm. for uh, a huge decision for Duke. And now she's potentially having to make a decision about the football c- program. And uh, something I've been hearing from, you know, some of the Duke fans around here that they're starting to realize, you know, now that coach K is gone or will be gone, that it's going to be really important to have at least a competent football program around to make sure that the financial side of the athletic department is going to be okay in the long run. Um, because they don't want to become, you know, 10 years from now and with the next conference realignment that will eventually happen and have them be left out and become like the next UConn or something where they're only a basketball program and program that its best days are behind it. Um, so, you know, she's really got 
Nina King has really got a big decision that she'll have to make. And uh, I do believe that a change will be made this year because I really just don't care who you are, what your history is. You don't get the luxury of being the worst team in the ACC three years in a row. I mean, you just don't, no one gets that luxury. doesn't matter who you are. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I think uh, next this time next year, Duke will have a new head coach. Yeah, and it's it's similar to Beamer and maybe like he raised the expectations to the point where now he's going to get himself fired. But however, like you said, worst is the worst. Whether you win one game or you win three games, it's still the worst team in the ACC. And if someone else was doing that at Duke, they would probably be gone too. And it does suck because he does have the legacy and he can, you know, muster up these crazy wins sometimes. But it it's very obvious that he's one of the worst coaches in the ACC right now. And, and he, at least at the very least, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would not go so far as Pete. I would say he is past his prime and making him that way. Okay. I'll tell, I'll I'll backtrack on the coaches. I'll say he's running one of the worst programs in the ACC right now. That is, And he does, and and he can't dig up out of it. Unfortunately, it's, it's too much of a, too much of an undertaking. Um, in my eyes, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I have a lot of respect for cut too. He's, he has had a great career. So that's interesting though, about him being stubborn. We know something about a stubborn coach. The the last, uh, (laughs) the last thing we should talk about is the line being 11 and a half for this game. At least that's the last I saw tech is favored by 11 and a half. And everyone's kind of joking about it. Like why on earth are we favored? And it's, you know, it's the victim of the time because the most recent result was 17 to three. However, we, we know that that was red bandana, Jerkovich, a night game up in Boston. And this is Duke at home. And this Duke team is not a very good Duke team. So I do think the line like actually makes sense. And actually it, I don't, I'm not saying we'll cover. I just, it makes me feel better. <laughs> I think the wheels are falling off of both these teams at a rapid pace. It's just at what, at what pace, right? Like who, who's got the sparks flying off of the axle, like, you know, and has, you know, half a wheel on the other ones just running on rubber right now. Um, and a time, which one of those is really just going to flip over and just cause an absolute, you know, nightmare on four ninety five is uh, hard for me to tell, but I think I understand why the spread is what it is. I would not, I would not, bet this game because if there are this will be the lowest attended Virginia Tech game in my mind that I think we've seen arguably in the last like five years it's going to be horrific definitely an ACC game like yeah for the attendance I'm not selling my tickets because I will feel bad actually making somebody pay money to go watch (laughs) this game I'm I'm dead serious I thought about actually selling my tickets I'm not I'm not going to do it and because it's nobody should have to go watch this Virginia tech team, like go out there and play right now. And I think there is a part of Cutcliffe that is, I respect it, but is very stubborn and won't actually. And I think one of his quotes that came after the game this past week was like, I'm looking at all the positive, not the negative. And that kind of shit like pisses me off. It's like, no, you should be looking at the negatives and identifying it and trying to turn it into the positive. And I think in that way, their stubbornness is like 
the Fuente is just like a younger version of cut. Like they're just going to stick to their ways and it's actually, it's tough to see. So I get the, why the line is that big. I wouldn't bet this thing. I, cause I have, I honestly have no clue. It, I understand why it's the spread is that big, but it, it, it sucks that the two programs are both heading in the direction they are right now. In relation to that, Chris, do you think that Duke comes out with the fight like they did last week against Pitt? Or do you think that was kind of like their last hurrah of the season and we'll be able to kind of mow them over? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so it is kind of funny because last week I just thought it was going to be like one of the biggest blowouts in the Cutcliffe era. Like I thought they had no shot going into it. Um, and then they start off hot, you know, they, it actually could have been an even better first half. They were on the one yard line and fumbled the ball. Uh, so they could have been up by potentially about eight or nine points at halftime. And, but it didn't work out that way, but at the same time, the same end like it was one of the better games they played this year and they still lost by 24 points and that just kind of shows <laughs> you still where... covered yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's it just kind of shows you like even if they do have fight it's just the talent level just isn't there across the entire roster um and that's just kind of where they're at um so i think potentially you could see uh some fight out of them um I know Matant is going to run his, sorry, Mateo is going to run his ass off because uh, that's just who he is. And, you know, he's got a lot to play for because he is about 200 yards away from the school record for single season rushing yards. So I know he really wants that. Um, So uh, I know he's going to be playing hard like he always does. And, you know, the offense generally, you know, plays okay. Um, unless they're playing UVA or Wake Forest, <laughs> uh, but uh, the defense, I just, I just don't think they've got the fight or the stamina or the skill to hang up with any Power Five team right now. And so it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, I, for the spread, I was thinking almost the exact opposite. I feel pretty comfortable that Virginia Tech will probably cover because. Um, something that Duke will struggle with is a team that plays very consistent and Virginia tech, you know, they may not be an amazing team in certain aspects, but you know, they're always basically going to play the exact same every week because, (laughs) you know, they don't turn the ball over that much. They don't get penalized that much. Um, And, you know, in general, they don't make a lot of mistakes. They just don't generate explosive plays. Um, and where Duke performs well is when the other team makes a lot of mistakes. So uh, I think the fact that Virginia Tech probably won't turn the ball over and, um, you know, they're able to move the ball a little bit against Georgia Tech. And I think Georgia Tech and Duke are pretty similar uh, comparisons um, that I think it'll probably be about like a 14 to 17 point victory. So. I feel pretty comfortable that Virginia Tech will win this pretty comfortably. Yeah, that would be that would be nice if uh, if the seniors could go out like that. This ending ending the home game, uh, the last home game of the year with a loss to Duke, just 
I can't imagine how that, that would Honestly, go over. <laughs> it's already been so bad. So, uh, well, Chris, thank you so much for helping us with this. It, you saved us a little bit of time in regards to research and trying to get the pulse on Duke. So it's it's very much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. I mean, what sane person wants to spend time on their Saturday <laughs> watching Duke football just get their brains beat it every week? So I'm glad I can uh, provide a little insight on, you know, what areas Duke's good at and what many areas they're bad at this year. Chris, yeah. I, I just I want you to know that I spent today rewatching a game that we lost 17-3 where we had a combined QBR rating of 24 and it was we threw one pass in the entire first quarter, we threw four passes in the entire third quarter. It was it was literally like watching, like jabbing yourself in the eyeball. Uh, it was so I, I feel your pain, man. Yeah, it was, it was, it was horrible. There's a little bit of a, yeah. What is it? A masochist in all of us, I guess. Yes, um, that's right. Oh yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Chris, thanks again for coming on and we'll talk to you down the road. Yep. Thanks for having me on. All right. Let's hop into the picks. We'll start. We got a bunch of ACC games here, actually. UNC at Pittsburgh. Pitt is six and a half point favorites. UNC just knocked off the top 10 Wake Forest team and Deacons. What do you got in this one? I'm going with Pitt. I, that was a big, big game, I think, for UNC. And uh, so I, I hate to say it, but I'm going to go with a little bit of a letdown spot here. And I, I think Pitt is is a very, very good team. And I think they can take down UNC here and especially at home. Yeah, even and Howell got banged up in that game. He was taking so many hits from the Wake Forest defense, which isn't even a good defense. Pitt is going to put a hurting on Sam Howell. I think Pitt covers. Q's at Louisville. Louisville, three-point favorites at home. I'll go first. I'm going to take Q's. I, I have not really trusted Louisville this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. But it's not in the carrier dome. You're this right. One's, You're uh, right. This, so I'm going to go, we'll just at least keep it interesting. How's that? I'm going to go Louisville. Well, you've been better than me lately, man. I think you're kicking my butt uh, in the picks. I don't know about last week. I I don't know if I ran the numbers, but I think I went 500 last week. I think okay. you went one game over 500, so it's starting to even out. Miami at FSU, the old rivalry. Florida State, two-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. Miami is playing a lot better right now. They are. I'm going to go Miami. I think um i've said this for a few weeks in a row i think florida state's got more to i I feel like there's more reason for miami to try and play well here right now than there is for fsu so i'm gonna go miami well the tough thing with florida state is too and this screwed me last week is that they got the flu down there yep and it's messed with all their players Uh, i think their quarterback was even out last week so i can't in good conscience at this stage in the game pick fsu i'm gonna take miami they're playing well and on the on the on the outside chance that there's a lot more flu going on in FSU, that's the safer pick. So I'm going to take Miami. BC yep. at GT. This is kind of a, just an ugly matchup. BC got a nice <laughs> win um, against us, I guess. But these teams are both not that good. GT's favored by one and a half at home. I'll take Georgia Tech. I mean, flip a coin, man. I don't know. I have Georgia Tech. This game is... This game's hor- horrific. <laughs> it's horrible. I mean, it's like, and I'm not. I'm not want to be disparaging to the fan bases, but this is a terrible football game. Like yeah. nobody's going to watch this game. No. Um, so I'll go with Georgia Tech. Notre Dame at UVA. If 
Armstrong wasn't a little banged up, I'd be so excited for this game. I still think he's going to play, but yeah. uh, it limits it limits UVA's upside. And Notre Dame, since the game against us, has really turned it on. And so I'm going to take Notre Dame because the QB's banged up and they're playing well. Yeah, I have the same. This one is in Charlottesville, right? If yep. I'm not mistaken, yep. but I still don't think that's enough for UVA to hold on here. And if if Armstrong is even in the least bit limited, it's not going to, I don't think it's really going to be close. I think they'll get shut down by Notre Dame. So I'm going to Notre Dame as well. Yeah, they'll, they'll be able to run the ball on UVA for sure. NC State at Wake, Wake two-point favorites in this big showdown. It's not going to lock up the Atlantic, but it's going to come darn close because NC State has the win over Clemson. Wake's undefeated. In the in the conference, despite losing to UNC because that was not a conference game, so whoever wins is going to have a major leg up on the Atlantic. You know, NC State's been banged up, but like they've been playing so well. This is this is a really hard pick for me. I'm going to take Wake at home. I I don't feel great about it. Yeah, I have, I have Wake as well. I just if they if they don't take advantage of this opportunity to basically win the Atlantic, I would be very surprised. They they've been under fire a couple times where people didn't know that they would perform or not, and I know I know they took the loss, but that's a tough game that they took that loss in. And would they score fifty two points 50, and, or yeah, fifty points? Fifty five. Yeah, <laughs> and and still and still lost. I don't know if NC State can can do. What's you know Sam Howell and, and UNC did against them, so I'm yeah. I'm going with Wake as well. Yeah, I mean, NC State's going to have to put up points if they want to win the game. So yep. we'll we'll see. I I cannot believe that fourth quarter from UNC though. They I they know. scored like 24 points in the fourth quarter. It's unreal. Yep. Texas A&M at Ole Miss, the only game outside the conference we're really going to pick today. This is for basically the second best team in the West, right? So yep. of the of the SEC, they're both seven and two. Ole Miss three point underdogs at home. Oh, God, I'm gonna take A and M here. They ooh, I like it. I I have not picked them. I have not trusted them since the beginning of the year, but they've screwed me over a few too many times, and now <laughs> I'm gonna pick them right as they're probably gonna screw me again. <laughs> Perfect. Then I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna go with all. Uh, I'm gonna go with Ole Miss then. Lane train. Uh, yeah, I'll go lane train to see what he has, what he's got left in the holster. See if he can go, go cowboy on this whole thing. Um, all right. That's going to do it for the picks. And I hope you enjoyed the interview with Chris. Uh, we thought it was, we thought it was pretty, pretty good and, and insightful. And um, at this point in the season, me and Robbie getting a little bit of uh, heavy lifting on the previews is always helpful. <laughs> yes. Uh, we, we need some help, especially, but uh, the the nice part is when you get into the program, you know, I, I it gets a little bit less stat driven, and Chris is able to go into like some of the individual players and their talents and like what they're good at. So irrespective of how they perform in any given game, kind of, I just thought I love those kind of interviews. You you get a lot of insight that you can't really get otherwise unless you're you're willing to sit down and watch all of those games and and read all the message boards. So it was awesome. Yeah. So make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, go to 2dvt.com, check out all our beers, our picks, 
the stats, and you can buy our stickers, our merchandise pages up, and you can stream every podcast there as well. It's a one-stop shop, 2deepvt.com. And if you have any questions, comments, whatever, email us. It's 2deepvt at gmail.com. We've actually been getting more emails lately, and we we reply to them all. It might take us a couple days, but we will reply to you. Um, and thank you for listening. Thank you for ordering stickers. Thank you for supporting the podcast. It's been a tough season. And so if you're still listening yes. to us at this point and you get to the end of these podcasts when we do this kind of stuff, we appreciate it so, so much. Uh, and until next time, when hopefully we're celebrating a big senior day win against Duke, go Hokies. Go Hokies.